Thank you, Ravi, for that amazing introduction. And I want to thank Ravi, Chazak, and all the incredible Jewish leaders who put together this series of Shirim to launch this new Sefer. And it started with a vision. Right? About a year ago, Ravi told me, I heard you're coming out to Sefer. Would you like to do a tour? And I said, I, you know, I was about to give a Chazak Shir. And I said, sure, we'll do a tour. Of course, we'll. And it's a year later, Sof Maaseb Machshav Atchila. We say every single Friday night in Lechadodi that anything that you want to create in reality has to originate in thought. You have to have vision. You have to have a vision for what you want to create. So I want to talk about the inner depth of the Sefer, but I want to frame it with a story. And the story is of a carpenter. And this carpenter was passionate about his work and spent his whole life building houses, building homes. And he spent his life passionately building houses, and he was ready to retire. He's old. And it got to the point where he went over to his boss. And he said to his boss, I've enjoyed my life, I've enjoyed building homes, but I'm ready to call it quits, I'm ready to retire. I have enough saved up, and I'm, I'm ready to move on to the next stage of my life. And the boss smiled at him and said, listen, you've been our best worker. You've created something amazing here. Would you be able to do one more house? One more home. And if you do this one home, we'll, you know, we'll definitely let you go. We're not going to stop you from retiring, but just one more house. He says, I really don't want to. Uh, I'm done. I don't have anything left in me. But the boss insists, and he says, listen, I just told one more home. Can you just do one more? So he says, okay, I'll do one more home. But he wasn't into it. Shoddy craftsmanship, wasn't passionate about it, didn't really do a good job. And out of his entire life's work, this is probably the lowest quality home he ever built. But he did his job. A couple months later, a year later, whatever it was, comes over to his boss and he says, I'm done. I finished. And it was weird because the boss was with every single person in the entire company. And they were all smiling, they were all happy, and they said, here you go. And the boss hands him the keys. And he says, this is your going away present. This is your going away present. This is your home. You just built your house. And he's crushed. And he thinks to himself, if I would have known that I was building my home, I would have put more effort in. I would have put more energy, more passion. I would have been focused. I would have created the most extraordinary home I've ever built. And now I get this piece of garbage because I didn't put my all into it. And very often, we fail to realize that we are actually building our homes. The Ramchal, Maharal, Nefshachayim, the Ramban, Rav Tzadok, they open up a very interesting sugya, which is misunderstood. Many people think that Ulam Haba, the world to come, is for your neshama. Right, you do mitzvahs, you, you're nevet Hashem, you serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and at the end of your life, your neshama, your soul, your spiritual whatever, will experience Olam Haba, the world to come. But they all say the same thing. That Olam Haba is nothing other than experiencing you. It's experiencing the inner values, ideas, philosophy, the inner self, the inner mind, the inner consciousness you crafted and built in this world. You experience you. And we're all building our homes. And the question's like this. What stops people from becoming great? 
What stops people from achieving the extraordinary, from truly living? Because we all love inspiration, and we've all been inspired where we go to an inspirational show, we say, yeah, I'm going to take my life to the next level and start learning and growing, and that's great. But what stops us? What stops us from truly building the most extraordinary home imaginable and becoming unbelievably great? Now, one of the truly, truly unfortunate explanations is there's very often misunderstanding of what greatness is. And I want to talk a little bit about greatness, but the, the concept of misunderstanding is, is essentially fundamental to all learning. Because every single word can be misunderstood. You say, I love pizza. You say, I love you to your wife, to your husband. Those are the same words, but they hopefully mean very different things. And fundamentally, every word, every concept, every mitzvah, every idea can be broken up, can be opened up, can be understood in many different ways. And when you don't open things up, you can have a very, very unhealthy understanding of an idea your entire life because you never open up to the possibility that could mean something more. So you're just a... <laughs> Very interesting story. That I was recently, it was Friday afternoon, we realized we didn't have any challahs for Shabbos. So I ran to the supermarket and I tried to get some whole wheat challahs. And I was looking all around and there were no whole wheat challahs left. So I went over to one of the workers and I said, Excuse me, do you happen to chance, do you happen to have any whole wheat challahs, you know, in storage in the back that you can maybe give me? And he looks at me, his eyes like shine, he's like, whole wheat? Yeah, of course, I can give you some whole wheat. So I said, okay, can you get it for me? He says, no, I'm gonna, you can come with me. So I said, okay, you know, get a little bit of a, you know, insider's, you know, view of the back of the supermarket, it's, it's cool. So I go with him. And we go right past the kitchen, we go right past the storage area, and he starts taking me to the very back of the warehouse. And at this point I'm thinking like, these are some very, you know, well-hidden challahs. Like, why are the challahs in, in the back of the warehouse? And he takes me to the, past all the offices, and he takes me up the stairs to the manager's office, and he knocks on the door. And just before the manager opened the door, I kind of read the name of the manager, his name was Howie. And he looks at me, he goes, Howie? And I had to explain to the manager that I was not looking for him, that I was looking for Holy Khalas. And, <laughs> and it was a very awkward conversation. I did not get the Holy Khalas at the end. <laughs> I had to go with the regular Khalas. But that was, that was a, a funny example of a simple miscommunication. Exactly, but written communication can be just, just as problematic because words are simply words. But the meaning that lies behind them can enter you into an entire world of abstraction where there are many layers of meaning. And greatness, greatness is a very, very profound idea, but many people define greatness as an objective standard. So, for example, in Western culture, in, in the, the capitalistic system, greatness is objective. You are either the best at what you do, and in, and in which sense you are great, or you're not. You don't get points for trying. You don't get points for growth. No one's going to hire you because you're, so to speak, becoming a better version of yourself. They're going to hire you because you are going to get the results. In the NBA, in the NFL, in being a lawyer, being an accountant, being a doctor, it doesn't matter how much you want to grow. If you are a growth-oriented doctor and every single patient you see dies, you are not going to get a job. But in spiritual growth, greatness is completely subjective. And it's based on a very profound Gemara. The Gemara in Nida, the Aflam and Amabes, says that when each of us were in the womb, we learned Kola Torah Kula, all of Torah. And right before we were born, the Mal who taught us all this Torah hit us on the mouth and made us forget it. It's a very strange, strange Gemara. So the Vilna Gaon, Maharal, many of the 
including many of the Rishonim, the Bali Machshava, they all ask the same question. If you're going to make us forget everything we learned in the womb, why does the Malach teach it to in the first place? It doesn't make any sense. So Vilnagun gives one of the most profound explanations. He says that you didn't lose it. You lost access to it. Why? Because what you were taught in the womb wasn't just Torah, Shevik, Sav. We weren't learning Chumash. We weren't learning Gemara. You were learning the meta-spiritual cosmic purpose of everything. You were shown all of reality with a crystal clear lens, including your unique purpose. You were shown who you were supposed to be, what you were designed to become, your role in this cosmic symphony called life. And you lost it because your job is to come into this world and earn it and build it and choose it and create your home, so to speak, to create yourself. And so greatness isn't becoming great, it's becoming you. Truly striving is not about looking around. You know, this is not a Torah example, but Michael Jordan was once asked, how do you become the best in the entire world? How do you do it? And he said, everyone else on the court wanted to be like me. I compared myself to no one. All I wanted to do was to be the best version of myself. I compared myself to who I was yesterday, every day. And so often, it's so easy to look around at people who have amazing relationships, who are physically healthy, who are wealthy, who are intelligent, who are brilliant, who are learning, who are growing, who are happy, and we just want to be like them. And it's good to be inspired by other people. But true greatness is understanding who you are. It's self-awareness. That's why Shabbos, we talk about Olam Haba's experiencing who you are. Shabbos, the Gemara Brachos Daphne Zion says, Shabbos is me'ein Olam Haba. Why? Because on Shabbos, we don't just stop physical activity, we stop creative activity. That's why we don't do melacha on Shabbos. Melacha comes from the Shorish malach, creative emanation. On Shabbos, we stop creating and we experience, it's a taste of experiencing who we are. And some people don't like being by themselves, especially when there's no external stimulus, because they have to confront who they really are, their own thoughts, their own inner world, their values, who they have become. And it can be uncomfortable if you're not growing and if you're not thriving and if you're not really pushing and if there's nothing really inside. But when life becomes this extraordinary journey of growth, everything starts to change. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about some of the essential principles of why I wrote this Sefer, what this Sefer is, the journey to your ultimate self. Because the journey to your ultimate self is truly the journey to who you were back in the womb. And just as a little anecdote, now, the Gemara, the, the title of the Sefer is The Journey to Your Ultimate Self. Based on that Gemara, of our journey in this world is becoming who, we supposed to, who we're supposed to be. We're going back to our fetal state. And as I was giving shiram on this and writing this, my father told me, it's very strange. You're not going to believe this, but at your bris, I mentioned that very Gemara. I mentioned that Gemara. That Gemara has become essentially my life. And he told me this a couple months ago because I was actually about to have the bris of my firstborn son, my Bechor. And I watched the video of him giving that, that shear at my bris, and I just got the chills. And as you can probably tell where the story is going, I obviously shared this very Gemara at my son's bris as well. And the question we need to ask ourselves is this. How do you take that journey? What is that journey? Because when I, was, when I was younger, when I was younger, I was a very normal person and my life fell apart. I got sick, I was facing death on a daily basis, and I got to ask myself the questions that most people only ask when they're a lot older, which is, why, why am I in this world? 
what am I doing with my life? And if I'm only going to live a couple of days, what am I doing with the life I have left? And Baruch Hashem, I got better, but I didn't stop asking those questions. And my journey really led me towards the question of why. Why do we do what we do? Why do we think how we think, say what we say? What is the purpose of life? And when I was younger, I thought that what we really needed in life was inspiration. Right? We want to be inspired. And don't get me wrong, inspiration is great, but when inspiration becomes what we really want in life, we're putting a band-aid over a fundamental issue, which is that inspiration is wonderful, but it's fleeting and it's not real. What we really need in life is depth. We need ideas, wisdom. We need to open up into the deepest realms of Torah. And deep Torah is often inaccessible. You go to a very deep, philosophical, conceptual, mystical shear, and you, you walk out basically asking yourself, that was wonderful, what did I actually learn? And the brilliant, brilliant among us are engaged in the deepest aspects of Torah, and everyone else is hearing Vartlach, inspirational shear, inspirational ideas, acute halachic topic here, acute concept here, but no one's building a systematic inner philosophy to understand every aspect of life. And the goal was to create a safer that is literally focused on the essential core concepts of life that is inspiring, accessible, and engaging. And so every single chapter is introduced with an inspiring story that fundamentally frames the idea in the chapter. And it's broken up according to the Parsha because very often people read Machshavasvarim and they don't get past a couple pages because it's hard to orient yourself to break up a big sefer so that it's actually oriented to your trajectory through time. And then very often we read deep ideas and we, oh, we end up saying, what did I actually learn? So at the end of every single chapter, there's a summary of all of the fundamental concepts and ideas in each chapter. And there's discussion questions to bring it into a social environment for the Shabbos table, for a chavrusa, for a spouse, for a date, to bring it into your life so you can talk about it and have thinking questions to bring whatever you learn in the chapter into your life. And then there's action points. As the well-known phrase goes, the greatest distance in the world is between the head and the heart. And very often we don't know how to act on the depth that we just learned. We hear under deep philosophical concepts about relating to Hashem, the spiritual world, and mitzvot, and how to relate to different philosophical ideas, and we say, what does this actually mean to me, to my life? So every single chapter ends with very concrete ways of bringing it into your life and actualizing it. What I want to do in the little time we have tonight is I want to delve into some of the essential aspects of the Sefer. Because what we could do is we can just read a chapter and that would be great, but as the author I want to give you the underlying conceptual framework of what this Sefer is. And the best way to start off is what is the purpose of learning Torah? Because very often People learn Torah. And I, I, I think that the biggest problem with academia, you know, I've studied at Harvard, I've studied at University of Chicago, I've studied at YU, I've studied at many different universities. And academia is great, but it's fundamentally broken because it's an analytical pursuit. It's not designed to transform you. It's not designed to change how you think. It's not designed for you to live and experience the ideas. It's a purely intellectual endeavor. And very often people academically learn Torah. They're Mekayim, the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. You have a Seder, a morning Seder, you have a night Seder, you have a Chavrusa, you listen to a Shir while you cook, while you drive, whatever it is, so you feel good about yourself that you're learning Torah. But learning Torah, Talmud Torah, is supposed to be transformative. You're supposed to live Torah, think about Torah, breathe Torah, contemplate Torah. Torah is supposed to manifest in your life, it's supposed to permeate your life. 
And when you go into a shir and go out of a shir unchanged, that's not a true kiyam of Talmud Torah. That's being Makayim learning Torah, not living Torah. And I'll tell you, I love Bali Teshufa. I love Bali Teshufa. I'm from, from birth. I, I, I'm not, you know, about Teshufa. You're not yet about Teshufa. We'll get there. We'll get there. You, you, you jumped the gun. I'm from, from birth. But it's all good. It's all good. You're on the right trajectory. You know, when you give a shear and people are heading in the right direction, jumping the gun, it means you're, you're framing it in the right way. So, but I love Bali Teshuvah. And the reason why I love Bali Teshuvah is because they're always learning, always growing, always expanding, always pushing, always engaging in truly new ways of thinking. Because they know that they don't know. And very often when you hear, you know, just simple, simple ideas and concepts in the very Torah, and you hear it again and again and again, you come under the illusion that you know. And I guarantee you, once you start to realize that the purpose of learning is opening up every idea, every mitzvah, every concept, every gemara, every sugya, every makor, every single rambam, every single ramban, and deepening, and deepening, and deepening, and questioning, and relearning, and rethinking, and re-questioning, and always re-engaging, always entering into different states of reality once you've engaged in that, you start to realize that you've never learned before until you start actually learning. And it's very vulnerable because it means that you have to be willing to give up how you currently see the world to see the world in a new way. And the more fundamental the concept, the more fundamental the transition will be. Because if you change the way you see one thing, that's okay. If you change the way you see the entire universe, that will change radically the way you experience all of life. And people are not open to true learning because they are so set in a comfort zone of the way they see the world. And if you want to really know how to learn, you have to start to open yourself up to the possibility of literally going on a journey into the unknown. That's the essential concept of the Sefer, because Avram was told Lech Lecha, but he wasn't told where he was supposed to go, he was told go. Lech Lecha also means go to yourself. The journey to yourself is a journey into the unknown. If you know where you're going to be in 10 years, that's very sad. If you have a goal, that's great, but if you know where you're going to be, that's very sad. It means that you are not growing. Growing means you have to literally go on the incredible journey towards your ultimate self wherever the truth takes you, wherever the ideas take you, wherever HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes you. And we are so comfortable being comfortable that we don't actually strive for greatness because greatness means giving up who you are for who you can, must, and should become. And that's an incredible journey to take. And that's the journey that so few people take because it's a vulnerable journey. Because one, it means that you have to admit that you don't yet know everything. Number two, it has to mean that you have to go through the discomfort of being a child again. Because anyone who's achieved any success, you can rest on your laurels and just ride what you're already good at. But if you're a professional, if you're seen in the public in a certain way, and you're literally rebuilding certain parts of your life, it's very embarrassing because people want to think that they're already complete, they're already great the way they are. But once you realize that the greatest joy in life is pulling yourself apart and putting yourself back together, is engaging in core learning and framing the way you see the world, you start to realize that you've never been living until you start becoming a child again and questioning, deepening, and learning everything. Every mitzvah, every halacha, every sugya, every amar gemara, every you know, rishon, every aspect of Torah is infinitely deep. And when you're satisfied with a good Dvar Torah that repeats something you've heard 150,000 times and doesn't tell you anything new, that's not Torah and that's not learning. 
Torah must be new, it must be expansive, it must be paradigm shifting. You need to change the way you see the world, not to fundamentally throw away what you had before, but to deepen and deepen. And that's the essential concept of Torah, which is perhaps the most profound concept of this Sefer, is the concept of oneness. It's very easy to break things down to different categories. All right, we have Tanakh, we have Torah Shabbat, we have Mishnah, Gemara, Midrashim, Rishonim, Achronim, you have Halacha, you have Machshava, you have Musr, you have Ashkafa, and it's very easy to listen to Shirim, to learn Torah, and to literally isolate learning what you're learning and say, this is Tanakh, this is Halacha, this is Machshava, this is Musr. But when you start to realize the interconnectedness of all of Torah, I'll give you an example. Have you ever learned anything, any shir, listened to any shir, read any, anything, and what you're learning requires you to learn something else? Because what you're learning quotes a Gemara here. It quotes a Rishon here. It quotes a Sugi over there. And when you're learning about Matzah, you have to learn about, you know, Hilchas, uh, you have to learn about ownership. And ownership, you learn about Kenyanim. And Kenyanim, you start learning about uh, Shomrachinim. And Shomrachinim, you start learning about, and all of a sudden, you start realizing that to learn anything, you need to learn all these other things. And to learn this, but you don't actually do that because you're focusing on one thing. But you realize that you're lacking because in order to really understand this, in order to understand this Rambam, you have to understand that Rambam. In order to understand this Pasuk, you have to understand that Pasuk. In order to understand this Sugi, you have to learn that Sugi. And you start to realize the oneness of all of Torah, but very, very few people pursue the oneness of Torah because it does become a little overwhelming. Right? So we just isolate and we listen to whatever we're listening to. We say, okay, I don't really understand this because I have to understand this to understand this. But I will simply do that a different time and we don't. When you start to realize the oneness of Torah, you start to appreciate what Torah is. Because you know, I've learned many different sciences. And science is a system. And science is admired because it's a system. Right? It's a real science. Torah is the greatest science that exists because it's the source of all science. And science, the fundamental concept of science is an interconnected, harmonious system where everything adds up. And if you understand how to plug in anything, it plugs into everything else. And no one thinks that Torah is that same thing. You just learned of our Torah. You hear us here. Torah is the most brilliant science. It's the source of science. But to truly admire Torah, you have to really understand the oneness of Torah. To understand any sugi, you start realizing every other sugya comes across. And that means that whenever you learn anything, you want to bring everything you've ever learned to that what you're learning, and you want what you're learning to affect everything you've ever learned. You want to engage in a true cosmic explosion of learning, where literally there's, there's just infinite reverberation, where everything affects everything. And it's the most incredible thing when you start to realize that, because then Torah becomes the most... There are people who are in the midst of Tom Torah because they think it's the Ratzon Hashem. You know, Torah's chayimhi, When you are really engaged in Torah, you come alive. Your entire life changes. Everything changes. Because you're tapping into existence itself. And I would say the most important principle, first of all, in terms of how this Sefer works, every chapter is an isolated chapter. And every chapter has footnotes connecting to every other concept, every other example in this entire Sefer that relates to what you're learning. So if you're learning something, say, this is really interesting, I want to deepen that, you can go to that chapter, you can go to this chapter, you can go to this, you can go to that. You start to realize how there's no such thing as an isolated idea. That's literal symptom, that's literal, so you know, you literally have broken up Torah into isolated pieces. The true wisdom of Torah is the interconnectedness and oneness of the, tr of the inner wisdom of Torah. 
It's the understanding how there are layers and layers and layers. And Machshava is the underlying why. And Lamdus and Gemara is understanding the application of Torah Shabbat And Halacha is living Torah. But you break up Halacha and say the why behind Halacha, not in terms of if I'm going to do it, but how do I do it? Understanding how to deepen the way you live Torah. But the most profound principle in this entire Sefer, in terms of the underlying principle, is the answer to a fundamental question. Which is, in every shir you've ever heard, especially in Machshav Shir, Musr Shir, the Rav will, at one point, the teacher will at one point say, and we want to connect to the spiritual. Right? We want to connect to Hashem, connect to the spiritual. Now, if I were to ask you, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's something we've heard a hundred thousand times before, and we nod our head and we say, yes, I want to connect to the spiritual. Now, number one, is that a fluffy, you know, just, you know, fluffy thing you say at the end of a shear to be kind to connect to the spiritual? Is, does that actually have any content, any substance? Does that mean anything? So one option is that it's really just a fluffy, fluffy thing you put at the end of the shear. If you ask, if you ask most teachers, they won't be able to give you an actual explanation of what they mean by connecting to the spiritual. But the other option is that it's only for the elite. It's only for the intellectuals, the philosophers, the greatest among us will contemplate the nature of existence and connect to the most ethereal, conceptual, spiritual ideas, and everyone else will, will hope. One day I'll get there. Maybe I'll have a flash, an inspirational experience. I'll you know, experience Hashem sometime. But the third option, based on the Maharal, the Ramchal, the Ramban, is that the concept of the infinite, the ethereal, the spiritual, the transcendent, permeates, fundamentally permeates every aspect of reality. You know, philosophers talk about how this world is just a place. And you reside in this place to connect to the infinite as a separate concept, meaning you separate yourself. You know, Buddhist monks will contemplate the nature of reality by literally sitting on a mountain and removing themselves from physical experience. The most fundamental concept is the oneness of the physical and spiritual, the infinite and finite, the ethereal and the corporeal, because the physical stems from, emanates from, as a projection of the infinite. The Maharal, the Ramchal, the Ramban, they say that the Midrash is Stakel Baraisa Barama, who looked into the Torah and created the world, opens up all of reality. Because the physical universe is an expression and manifestation, a projection, emanation of the spiritual cosmic source. It's like a seed that manifests into a tree. It's like a zygote that becomes an expressed human being. It's like you look at a screen, where's the projector? Oh, what, I, what, what I'm looking on the screen stems from a projector. Now, it's so easy to get caught up in the surface, in the expression, and not understand that all of life is sourcing things back to their root, to their source, to where they come from, and understanding that the expression is a manifestation of the source. And, I, you know, for example, Avram, Avram looked at the, the expression, the physical world, and said there must be Hashem. So he sourced from the physical world back to Hashem. Shlomo understood all of Torah. And Chazal say that he used the Torah to understand all the physical world. Because it's a two-way street. You can go from the expression back to the source, from the source to the expression. It's ideal to go from the source to the expression. We'll talk about that a different time. But you understand the oneness of all of reality. It's like all of mitzvahs. You think if, if, if we're a spiritual people, Kaisal is a spiritual people, we should be like Buddhists, right? We should meditate, we should contemplate. Mitzvahs should be all philosophical, spiritual, intellectual. You can literally count on your hand the amount of spiritual mitzvahs there are. Believe in Hashem, right? Don't serve idolatry, don't be jealous. Every single mitzvah, except for a couple, are physical actions. Shake a lulav, eat matzah, wear tefillin. What, 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 why are we a physical people? We're the most spiritual people. Klai Yisrael. 
Because true spiritual living is the harmony, oneness, and synthesis of physical and spiritual, infinite and finite, transcendent and manifest. And when you understand that, you understand how to use every aspect of the physical world and source it back to, every, that's why Bali Machshava opened up every aspect of the physical universe, every aspect of human experience, human emotions, psychology, philosophy, mathematics, the Maharal uses mathematics in, in, in Machshava in the most brilliant way. How can you do that? Who cares about math? Who cares about psychology? Who cares about your human body? Connect to the spiritual. But every manifestation in this world is a gilu, is megala, the source. And true Torah living is understanding the harmony and oneness. It's engaged in full throttle in the physical world. That's why, you know, we believe in marriage. No, it's animalistic. We believe in drinking wine. No! You know, Muslims don't drink wine. Christians don't need celibacy. But the idealism of Torah is absolute oneness. It's uplifting, you hear uplifting the physical. It's a very, you know, it's a beautiful concept. What does that even mean? It means understanding how the spirituals manifest through the physical. I'll give you a mashal. What's a mashal? Use a mashal when you can say the thing itself, right? If someone's trying to tell you something so abstract and deep and philosophical and you just can't put it into words, use an analogy. So I was explaining to you the physical world was an expression of the spiritual, so I gave you analogies. I gave you an analogy of a seed becoming a tree, a zygote becoming a human being. A, what you see on the screen is from a projector. So what's the mushal? What's the mushal Kaj Baruch Hu gave us for the spiritual, for the infinite, for the transcendent? The physical world. It's a manifestation. It's a, it's megala, that which is infinitely deeper. And you say like, ah, that's, that's, what would, what would that look like, by the way? Just so you understand, what would that actually look like? That would mean that every time you look at a physical surface, you're deepening. You're getting past the surface. You're, you're contemplating. You're almost, you could say you're projecting ideas onto the surface, but you're actually not projecting. You are simply understanding what lies beneath the surface. And you say, I can't do that. That's, that sounds so difficult. How can I do that? on a daily basis, maybe once in a while when I feel spiritually inclined, when I feel inspired, but I can't do that. You're doing that right now. Can you see my thoughts? Can you see my emotions? Do you know what's going on inside my head? Absolutely not. But right now I am breathing in, Nishima, I am breathing out, I'm expressing my Nishama, and you are now receiving vibrations in your ears, and those vibrations are turning into sounds, those sounds are turning into words, those words into sentences, those sentences into, you know, expanded ideas, and you are now translating what is going on inside of me, inside of you, and now what was once inside of me, invisible, transcendent, ethereal, infinite, you can't access anything inside of me, all of a sudden everything inside me is literally inside of you. And you do it without thinking, without trying, it's just natural. You are literally trained from an early age, and it's amazing watching my son, who's now three months old, you know, starting to engage in the world and do this. It's that you are literally naturally inclined to access that which, we, which you can access through a limited medium of expression. And that's all of life, is getting past the surface and understanding how to truly experience that which you think you can experience by recognizing that it is actually what you are experiencing but mistranslating and misidentifying. And that's when life opens up. That's when, and it's one of these things where there was a transition in history. We started out in Jewish history with miracles and nevuah and Akash Baruch who took us out of Mitzrayim, was Megalahim to the self, to the world, as the Rambai explains, and you have the Makos and Kriyas Yamsuf, and it's incredible, and Torah. 
the Mun and the Miriam's well, and it's amazing, it's incredible. And then everything just disappeared. Purim, Hanukkah, hidden miracles. We move to a new stage, and the Rabban explains that the Nisim Nigloim were Magal of Nisim Nistarim. Purim, we just experienced Purim, Katam, we're getting to Purim, no open miracle. You have to learn how to read the pieces. You have to learn how to see the brilliance within the natural, see the transcendent within the manifestation. And if you want the most incredible, incredible example of this, Nefesh Chaim explains that once HaKadosh Baruch Hu stopped openly revealing himself to the world, we have to, like the Ramban says, understand how to experience the miraculous within the natural. By realizing that everything is a miracle, by realizing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't create the world a long time ago. Nefesh Chaim is famous for saying that HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates the world constantly. Now you say, what does that mean? Well, think about it. Create someone inside your head. All right, give him a name, give him a face, give him, you know, give him personality, give him a background. Think about him. It's called Maishi. Now stop thinking about him. He doesn't exist. The only way he exists is if you continue thinking him into existence. Meaning you have to will him into existence for him to exist. We say every single day, who constantly creates the world. Hashem is constantly willing everything into existence. It didn't happen at one point in history. That's what the Ramban is explaining. The open miracles of Mitzrayim were Megala Kosh Baruch Everything in the world is a miracle. And Einstein was famous for saying that you can view everything in the world as a miracle or nothing as a miracle. The choice is up to you. And think about that paradigm. I mean, we have choices of how to view the world. You can view the world as if everything is meaningful or if nothing is meaningful. And if everything is meaningful, that's daunting, right? Because there's a lot of responsibility. That means everything you say, everything you think, everything you do, everything you eat, everything in your life is meaningful. Be careful what you do. And you can say, nothing in my life is meaningful, okay? No responsibility, but your life is meaningless. I choose responsibility. I think everyone would choose responsibility. It's an idealistic way of living. It's hard, it's difficult, but if you do what's easy, your life will be hard. But if you do what's hard, your life will be easy. Because you start living with passion and purpose, and you start learning with, living with ideas, you start opening up yourself to the infinite possibility of what you can become. And so many people, they don't engage on a journey because they're scared. What if it's not for me? Right? What if I can't do it? And we'll close off. Uh, and I get there's a chus to speak at uh, conferences, at uh, different you know, companies, and it always works the same way. They basically, there's two microphones. One's up on the podium, and the other, the person who's introducing comes up and basically uses the microphone to introduce. And this time, I'll never forget, this guy came, and it was the CEO of the company. He comes up, and he starts introducing, and there's only one microphone in front. And he introduces me, I come up, and he doesn't hand me the microphone. And I'm thinking, like, what in the world? Like, uh, I go for the other microphone, the other microphone's not there. Instead, he goes to the front, and he turns to the audience, and he says something I'll never forget. But I'll, I'll tell you in a second. The reason why I wrote this Sefer is to help you on this journey to ultimate self, to open you up, to lead you into the deepest realms of Torah, to understand the deepest concepts, the ideas in the Maharal, the Ramban, the Sugyas, that are often just disorganized and so cryptic and inaccessible. And I'll tell you, the way I wrote this Sefer, by the way, 
is when I was younger, I started realizing that I want to write everything down. Everything. So every shear I heard, every safer I read, every book I read, everything I listened to, every idea I had when I was exercising, when I was showering, when I was in my bed, I would constantly be writing everything down. And then I started realizing that there are so many inner contradictions in what I had previously believed. So I started realizing once you get everything outside your head, you can actually see who you are. And so many people, they have all this clutter in their head because it's just so much inside. There's no organizing system. So I started to organize everything. I started to build categories, open up every sugya. And I used you know, Microsoft OneNote. I connected every topic to every other topic. Every Gemara I was learning to every other Gemara I was learning. Every single question to, I would have files for everything. Every question, every idea, every concept, every source, everything. And I started interconnecting it all together. And Machshava, and Lamdus, and Gemara Be'in, and medical halacha, and psychology, and philosophy, and Tanakh, and Mishnayis, and Musr, and Hashkafa. And I started to synergize and synthesize everything together. And then I start to realize that some concepts come up more often than others. And some concepts are more fundamental than others. And I realize that there's a hierarchy of truth, a hierarchy of wisdom, a hierarchy of ideas, and that some ideas are so fundamental, they're so core, they're manifest within everything. Like the oneness of Hashem, like the connection between the physical and spiritual, like the concept of purpose, the concept of mission-driven life. And you start to realize which ideas are unique expressions. Like each mitzvah is a very specific concept, the very specific ideas, obviously connected to everything, but it's specific, and then core fundamental concepts which are manifest within almost every mitzvah, within almost every sugi in life. You start to realize how wisdom works. You start to realize it's almost like a tree. We have a trunk which is so core, it's literally the source of it all. And then you start to realize that there are branches that come out. And those branches have smaller branches. Those branches have smaller branches. And then there are leaves, which you can call mitzvahs, you can call manifest expressions. And Erlachana Wasserman will often, and often ask, what would you rather have? A hundred thousand books or a thousand books? So you think a hundred thousand books? He says, it depends if you have a filing system. You have a hundred thousand books and no filing system, you have no books. You ain't going to find anything. If you understand how to organize, if you understand how to break things down and understand how they work, you have to realize that you want core principles. If there are mechasas in almost every sefer he writes, you want klalim not pratim. You don't want specific, specific applications in life. You want, understand, you want to understand principles, concepts, ideas, because one idea has thousands of expressions. Collect ideas, concepts, paradigms, perspectives, fundamental philosophical paradigms will give you the most underlying ability to transform everything. You learn how to think. Think in a nuanced way. It's not A or B or C. You understand the spectrum of a sugya, how to think in an abstraction, how to think in a very nuanced way while still appreciating other people's approaches. You start to realize how to think, not just what to think. And that's a gift that's invaluable. You just can't put a price tag on that. And the purpose of the Sefer is to give you ideas, principles, concepts, give you avenues of thinking, to talk about ideas, to give you things to really ponder, to change the way you see the world and to then connect it to everything else in the Sefer, and to help you transform the way you learn anything, whether you're learning Gemara, Machshava, Musr, Halacha, whether you're just listening to a shir in the car, to just start thriving and living a thought-out life. And as I said, it's broken up according to the Parsha. There are summaries after every chapter. Every single chapter has discussion questions. There are action points so you can really live these ideas. And as you can probably tell, there's a little bit of a, a problem with the setup of this year. 
right? Because there's something missing. What's missing? What happened to that story? Right? A microphone story, right? There's something wrong with that because you don't start a story and not end it. You don't start telling a joke and not give a punchline. Well, I'll tell you, the, the, the just simple fact of life is that we're all here in a setup. Right? Our story has all started. And when you realize that, you start to say, wait a second, if I'm also living a story, how can my story not have a direction, not have an ending, not have a conclusion? When you start to realize that you're writing your story, that you are crafting, molding yourself, you're building your home, you're building your house, why not write the greatest story of all time? No, it's not for the great out there. It's not for the people you look at the front lines. It's not for the people who are famous. It's not the people who are gifted. It's for you. You are going to write an incredible story. You are going to do something incredible with your life. It doesn't matter what it is. You're going to figure it out. You're going to take that journey. But it, it comes with just the, 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 the simple transition point of saying it's possible for me to do that too. I am destined to go on my Lechacha journey. I am destined to expand my spiritual, intellectual, emotional, physical, financial, relationship, social. Every aspect of my life will expand, will grow, will increase. I am going to become the best version of myself. I'm going to live the greatest life possible. I'm going to not just live an inspired life, but an inspired, thought-out, deep, systematic, incredible life of Vodas Hashem. I'm going to live my ultimate self. And that's really why I wrote this Sefer. It's to help you take that journey, to inspire you to take that journey, to give you a framework, a systematic framework of taking that journey, to deepen every aspect of your life. And I ask you, I implore you, I invite you, I'm going to go to the front here, and I invite you all to get a copy of the Safer you can get for your family as well. And I want to thank you all for coming, and I hope we can all take the journey to our ultimate selves.